It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay, and on today's episode we'll look back at United's second friendly fixture against Betis. Bring your latest from our sit-down with Eric Ten Hag in Spain and look ahead to a final week of World Cup action. Now football didn't come home. Sam Mule, I'm glad that you have though. How was your week in Spain? It was, it was very good, thank you. Uh, I think we spent four nights there and uh, two two very lovely parts of Spain. Didn't realise how how remote Cadiz is, but very, very lovely beach. So that was nice. Seville was more whistle-stop, but that, that's a, a beautiful city. Can't can't recommend going there enough. Haven't seen a lot more of it when United did play out there nearly nearly five years ago now. And Ty, how have you been? You had a week off to, to recuperate. Did you do anything fun? Any sledging? Did you what did you do? Uh no, I didn't do any sledging. I did some tobogganing um at a local children's play centre with my child, I should say. I didn't I didn't know they just beat, beat the children on the toboggan. Um so yeah, it was uh, there was no trip to, to sunny Spain for me. It was the, the freezing northwest. But yeah, it was nice to have a, a week off and uh, recharge the batteries. And um, we say sunny Spain, Samuel. How hot was it? It looked quite wet from what I saw at times. It, it, it certainly was. I think United had some good days out there because they were out there exactly a week. Our, our best day was the day that we were mainly in transit, and, and the day of the Betis game. And uh, so, uh, amazingly, the, the, with the train situation in Spain, it's not like Avanti or Virgin in that they just well they actually run. Yeah, well, they, one they run, and then as soon as all the seats are sold out. Uh, nobody else is getting on it, so we got to the train station, and th- there were no trains to to Seville at all. So we had to we had to bus it in the end, which was was not a problem whatsoever. But that was the day when when we had the best weather, so the, it, it wasn't it wasn't great at times. Fortunately, fortunately, when we observed training on the Friday, uh, that was that, that was dry after a very 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 wet spell where it was like a i mean it was it was pretty much monsoon season it felt like uh but united were still training in it they weren't it wasn't like the neville brothers and that infamous click in was it budapest or bucharest i think it was um when when the, there's a crack, crack, crackle of lightning and they go uh, running towards the tunnel to go back inside so if, if anyone's not seen it on youtube it should be on youtube I should also mention as well that I was I was asked before we started this podcast to mention that they will be coming to YouTube soon as well. So if listening to us wasn't enough and you want to see where the magic happens as well, uh, keep your eyes peeled. It'll be on our socials soon as well. There'll be a new YouTube channel, just Man United MAN. I'm sure the titles of the Manchester is Red podcast we put in any videos we upload as well. So keep your eyes peeled if you want to watch this podcast, maybe have it on on YouTube when you're doing something else, I know when you're working, it does help sometimes to have a YouTube video up on the side. So Samuel, in terms of this week then in Spain, you mentioned on last week's podcast, go back to listen to it if you haven't already, that we talk about that Cadiz game. Betis at the weekend, hardly worth mentioning, such was the nature of the match. But in terms of the week in Spain, what was the highlight for you? Well, that was the the Friday easily. We had, we had 
enviable access. Fortunately, uh, the access on the preseason tour was was really good. Uh, in this setting, it was it was even better because we had a, a long time to to talk to Ten Hag, and, and we actually had had lunch with him as well. And I suppose you know the most important question was the food any good? Yes, yes, it was. It was it was great. I, I just assumed that because this you know these beautiful salads and salmon and sea bass and grilled chicken were coming out and and some tapas as well that it was you know the the, the chefs in in the kitchen there and it was you know just just spanish guys or spanish ladies uh, cooking us our, our food but no the united chef also uh, he 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 oversaw it essentially what united do whenever they go places the chef rather than turfing people out of the kitchen the chef goes in there and it's a collaborative effort and I think his name, I tried to, he did have a name tag on, I think it said Ryan Thompson. So to anyone at United, apologies if I've got his name slightly wrong. Compliments to the chef is what you're trying to say. Exactly. True, true. (laughs) Whatever his name is, if that is, if that is indeed his name, then then hats off to him. But he did, he did come in and we we did express our uh, compliments to him. Uh, The the, the prawns were, were probably the best prawns I've ever had as well. So uh, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but there, there really was in that case. And that was when we, we conversed with, with Ten Hag. We spoke to him on the record for probably 50 minutes, I think it was, or 51 minutes, someone said they clocked it in at. Um, there, were, there were eight of us around the table with him, as, as well as the, uh, the United Director of Communications. And no subject was off, off, off the table, uh, almost quite literally in that sense. And he was he was very relaxed. He was very good. Uh, I think he's really warmed into the role, not just of that of United manager, but the media side of things. Uh, that the press conference unveiling in, in May, it was a bit. His replies were a bit staccato at that time, and quite not, not curt, but very concise. And he still can be concise with with some of his answers, but uh, he he does speak more at length now and. I think people, uh, readers, will have, have gauged that from the, the lines we've already put out on um, Maguire wanting a striker, Ronaldo and Rashford. So there have been four instalments that have gone out already. There there are going to be a couple more that come out over the coming days as well on other topics. And it's just when you're in that company, when when you've got that time with, with the Manchester United manager and, and he is a, he's a really interesting guy, he's a... He's a very personable uh, chap as well, having uh, Ty and I both said, I remember in the summer, having observed him, having spent a bit of time with him, uh, we came away from the tour with a, a higher opinion of him and our opinion of him was already high. You had to respect the work he'd done at Ajax, but it's it's good that United are you know, providing that access to, to dedicated correspondents, to journalists who do invest in going uh, on tour or going to uh, training camps because that's that's the way it should be how what whatever results are going on on the pitch you, you need to forge uh, good productive working relationships and speaking to some of the chaps who've covered united far longer than i have they say it's by far and away the the best environment working environment of dealing with the club that they've they've ever had and obviously for me it is it, it is by far there've there've been people at the club in the recent past who who tried to make those progressive steps but there are also other people at the club who were blocking people trying to um, make progress and trying to just modernise the club and make it a more, uh, dare I say, friendlier club in in some ways. And it, it was a shame that there were certain individuals who were 
blocking that because there are a lot of good people who work at United who we all get on well with, who we've we've known for a number of years through going to games and going on pre-season tours. And it, it's in a very good place at the moment. Um, you know, the, the football as well, they've made progress there. Uh, it's It's been a decent first third of the season. There's a hell of a lot of room for improvement. And of course, they will be judged first and foremost on on results. And, and they know that as well and they get that. And that's that's the benefit they've they've got people in place there now who um know the the obstacles aren't in front of them anymore and they're completely switched on they completely understand how how it works and and how we work ty you like me will have been reading through all this interview stuff as well it is i guess from a united fans point of view really refreshing as well how open ten Hag is and, and how he comes across you know it isn't an act by any means but the way he is as Sam said they're not only growing into the role but conducting himself and it does really feel like the last few weeks even without United playing you know since that following game since the Ronaldo debacle that ten Hag has just come on leaps and bounds almost as a manager he really has that authority and that persona and, and fans really are on his side aren't they yeah, definitely. And he's, he seems he comes across as very honest in, in press conferences and, and media dealings. Like Simon says, no subject is is off limits. He always gives you an answer to a question. He never shirks a question. Um, I've said to a few people that I've always found him really interesting when you talk to him about individual players. He's he's always very engaging on, on the form of individual players or what's going right, what's going wrong. There's a lot of managers who, who shy away from questions about individual players, prefer preferring to talk about the team as a whole rather than praising one player or criticising one player. But Ten Hag's not afraid to do that. He's been really interesting on, on some individuals this season. And he is he, he is becoming a very good communicator. It's, it's almost funny now to look back on, like someone says, that first press conference and, and what he was like then. I think we all left that press conference thinking this is, is going to be a challenge. It was difficult at the start of the tour. He, he did his pre-match press conference in Bangkok and it was dominated by Ronaldo and it was very short. And he didn't do a few pre-match press conferences. And even before that sit-down on tour, I, I remember us all standing around, almost strategising really about how to, to get him to open up and get the best out of him. And you look at it now and there's there's no need to do that when he's doing 51 minutes in, in Spain. Every press conference recently has been pretty good. He's giving good, engaging answers. And that, as much as it's good for us, the, the reality is, you've got to remember, we are there to ask the questions the fans want answered, basically. We're, we're the manager's way to, to communicate with fans. That is our job. So the fact that he is so open with us, yes, it's good for us, but it's good for supporters as well because they get to, when we're getting 50 minutes, when someone's getting 50 minutes with him in Spain, then every topic fans want answering from the manager is is going to be covered. So it is in United's interest to do that. It's in Ten Hag's interest to do that. And it is, you know, it, it's kind of with a right smile now that you look back and think about, how how sort of worried we were, uh, how difficult it was going to make our jobs if he was going to be so terse and and things like that. And there was a lot of you know, there was a lot of Dutch journalists at the time who said he is if he doesn't like a question he can be quite you know his answer, if you ask him a yes or no question you tend to get a yes or no answer. So don't ask him a yes or no question. He's he's very Dutch I guess in in that regard in terms of how forthright he is. But you know when you get him on on good subjects he is engaging and he he had very good relations with the media in in Holland I think so. So yeah, it is. It is good to see, and like, and like you say, Rich, it's great for the fans that they get in detail his his comments about Ronaldo, about wanting a striker, Harry Maguire. You know, every talking point covered, and and that is that is the the best way really for United to communicate with supporters. 
Samuel, in terms of the actual interview then, like we said, if you want to read it, go on the Manchester United website. We have got loads of extracts from it already. Any of the answers sort of surprise you at all or anything sort of significant that jumps out to you? I suppose not in terms of the surprise element. I mean, if we're to be more current because it was the latest stuff that came out on, on Maguire, which is, I guess, not a topic that a lot of United fans would be interested in, but because Maguire is the United captain, because he's a starter for England, he, he is constantly a story and there is always a lot of coverage around him from from the British press. And he, he echoed what he said before about Maguire, like the challenge is the same. He's He's got to replicate his England form at club level. I I still have my doubts whether Maguire is able to do that. Uh, he he did pretty well again for England. It was probably not. It, I think the Euros was his best tournament for England. Then you say World Cup twenty eighteen. After that, this was a, a decent. This was like bronze medal place, if you like. But he's he's got an opportunity for that Forest game. It seems to to start in that, and it, there's, there is a lot of pressure on him because he's he's done it in tournaments in condensed periods, but when he pulls on the red shirt of United, and no matter what people say about the England national team, the scrutiny and the pressure of playing for Man United far outweighs the pressure of playing for England. I know there's a massive obsession with England striving to win a major trophy for the first time since 1966, but I still don't think it comes close to the sheer scrutiny and the intensity of that that United maelstrom, and that has affected Maguire because he started. Come the Forest game, he'll have started what once in, in in four months in the Premier League. I think it is. He's only had five starts all season. United have have lost three of those games. Uh, with with Ronaldo, it, with the Ronaldo staff, it was quite interesting because we we started with it because we kind of had to. It was almost like, look, we'll get this out of the way mm-hmm. because that's the topic. And he was very reticent about that. And I think he was. I think I was the one who just took it away and mentioned. You know, with Cristiano gone, would you want to sign a striker in January? And he gave a straight answer to that, moved on. And then, I don't know, 15 minutes later, whatever it was, Ronaldo was brought up again. And he had warmed up sufficiently that he spoke more at length about him, about him knowing the consequences. And effectively, he said he was in bad shape as well, which I know there was a context of Ronaldo missing pre-season because his, his baby yeah. daughter had bronchitis, which shouldn't be forgotten. But... That, that was a killer for him in his United career. And unfortunately, even though as a physical specimen, I don't think anyone's ever seen a, a footballer quite like him, certainly operating at the level that he has for such a long time. But it counted for little because the Premier League is almost all of it is about movement. And unfortunately, he was found to be quite cumbersome in, in his last months at United. And that's what that's what did it for him. So Ten Hag spoke at length, but I suppose where the two main stories, i.e. the talk TV interview and then the actual divorce being confirmed, uh, had both happened. Ronaldo, although it was still a big story and what Ten Hag said was great, the, the time of it was also tricky because we were doing this chat on the Friday and, of course, just over 24 hours later, England were playing France in a World Cup quarterfinal. So it didn't get it didn't exactly get lost amid the um, the build-up to, to the France game but nevertheless it, it didn't cause the splash on back pages that it would have done otherwise but it was still pretty fascinating um he i mean we've we've already ty and i and, and you as well the press conferences we've been at we know that if you mention a player who doesn't play for him 
then he's not going to get into it directly. And he's not the only manager that does that. So Cody Gappo was mentioned, but he didn't bite on that at all. Um, Rashford, he was very good on in terms of the, the Mbappe comparison that he made uh, when he said he's one of the best in the world at playing in that role. It's a useful bargaining chip for, for Dwayne Maynard, who's obviously Rashford's brother and agent, as they look to negotiate a new contract. And he's been uh, stoking the fires there by by meeting Paris Saint-Germain already this season. And you know, PSG have probably done him a favour with the, uh, the, the owner coming out and expressing interest in Rashford as well last week. Uh, that possibly some of the best stuff is is still to come at the time of of speaking on on other topics. I, I, I suppose hopefully they'll get to a point where we've used all on the all of the on record stuff and the whole transcript will be presented in in tot- in totality to to supporters if they do want to go through it and see everything that he said over the course of nearly an hour and his answers to literally every question. Um, but there was nothing that was massively surprising as such. There may be one bit was that, as I said, it's, it's yet to be published, but obviously can't, can't quite get into that just yet. But it's just for him to be open and engaging and you know, very, very quotable as well. I mean, again, I, I didn't think the Maguire quotes were exactly box office, but it's made the back page splash of some national newspapers today. And that's what happens when the Man United manager... You know, Gives you, uh, grants you an audience. Also, what happens when you have a World Cup semi final to look forward to? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> That's the Welshman with Polly. Hey, we got there. We got there. That's all that matters. It's the taking part that counts. I had to tear um, you up t- at some point. Ty, in terms of the striker search then, next month, obviously, I know Samuel's done a story today as well about Rafael Leal, not sort of concrete interest in it yet from United, but AC Milan would want a huge fee for him. Next month, we know the same for Ozzyman. We've seen Harry Kane, who's been linked to United in the past, another sort of elite target. United search for a striker then. Are you of the opinion that they need to spend big and get sort of a top target next month? Or do you think that they need to still go for a top target next year, except that it's most likely they'll be the summer, and just get a body in next month? I think it's difficult. I think they probably need to strike a balance between the two, to be honest. I think the realistically, they're... The, the players they would have been looking at in the summer of 2023 won't be available in January. I just don't see a scenario where where that's going to happen. If you look at someone like Victor Osserman as potentially a top target, there is no way he's going to leave Napoli in January when they're top of Serie A, doing so well in the Champions League, realistically could win both of those competitions. I just don't see it happening. Um, and players like Gakpo and, and Rafael Liao, both very good players, but they kind of feel similar to what United have got in that neither is a natural number nine, really. Liao comes on, plays off the left a lot for Portugal, does that a bit for AC Milan, I think, when Giroud's playing. Gakpo, he looks like he could develop into a, into a centre-forward, but doesn't tend to play there at the moment. Um, tends to play off, off the right or as number 10. He's certainly tall enough to, to come in as a centre-forward, but it feels like more like a project signing for that position than someone who would slot in straight away. So, yeah, it is... It's difficult to know, really. They are, You don't want to spend £50 million on someone who's not suitable next month and then rule yourself out of signing Osserman or someone like that in the summer when that would clearly fill the position long-term. But at the same time, they are you know, they are right in the Champions League chase and, and could do with that body. But I don't, I don't necessarily think it's absolutely essential. I mean, we're talking about the need to replace someone who scored three goals mm. this season. 
two of which were against FC Sharif. They've they've got to fifth without Ronaldo, essentially. The only goal he scored that has really mattered was against Everton and maybe someone else would have scored that. So, so you know, they are in this position with barely a contribution from Ronaldo and very little contribution from Martial. They've they've, they've hardly had a centre-forward so far and, and they've got to fifth. It's obviously a big gamble to think that Martial will stay fit for the whole of, um, you know, for, for the second half of the season. Rashford could play there as well. They've got options out wide, especially with Garnacho emerging. It's it's clearly in their interest to sign sign a forward next summer, and Ten Hag would would clearly want it. But uh, sorry, in January. But you have got a caution against signing someone that kind of puts a hole in the budget for the summer and and means you just you know you're kicking the can down the road eighteen months maybe when it comes to signing a, a centre forward when it's pretty clear they need they need someone at the elite level for the long term and, and they might just have to wait until the summer for that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, quick question then for both of you. I mean, I'll start with you, Ty. Who do you think would be, you know, if you could get anyone, if it is next, if it's January or the summer, who for you would be the player that right now sticks out for you as the, the sort of missing piece up front for United? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. Maybe Osman. I think, you know, Osman looks like the one in Europe who is going to get the attention in the summer. He looks the one most suited to the Premier League. He looks the most natural number nine. There's there's very few natural number nines about these days, which is why we're talking about players like Gakpo and Liao as options who who don't fill that role. You've got Kane and Haaland maybe as as the only two who certainly in at the, at the highest level of the Premier League who who fill that brief. There's not many of them about. Osserman looks like he is he is one of them. He plays as a a number nine. I guess Gon- Gonzalo Ramos is is another one who's kind of been mentioned recently, scoring that that hat trick. He's kind of morphed into a, a number nine, having played with Darwin Nunes last year. But I think on 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 what you've seen him do this season and his record in in recent seasons, you'd probably have Osman at the top of the list. Samuel, yourself, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, certainly as far as the summer is concerned, there's there's absolutely no chance of them prizing him from Napoli next month. I think even if they offered hundred million, I think Napoli would probably reject them. They're they're top by seven or eight points in yeah. Serie A. They've they're in the Champions League. You can imagine what Naples would be like if if Napoli win it'd be only their third Serie A title and obviously the the previous two the only two they've won were because of Maradona and you only have to look at the Maradona film or um, footage from from those those years on YouTube of the, the sheer joy he gave Neapolitan. So I think the, the trouble with Osman is that Napoli are very good at outpricing their their clubs from signing their best players. Uh, they've I think their two most expensive departures are probably Higuain and Cavani. So there is a striker theme there. And they were very. They they did raise eyebrows those those fees, particularly the Higuain one, which I think was the same sum of the Juventus sold Pogba to United, so they they had a bit of cash to to spend, and they opted for Higuain, which was possibly a questionable choice. But 
again, you look at, I suppose, more recently, not not a striker, but, but Koulibaly, uh, he was linked with a lot of clubs, bigger bigger clubs than Napoli for three or four years. Uh, he was certainly of interest to United in, in Mourinho's last summer, but Napoli kept hold of him because he was on a long contract and nobody was going to go near uh, their valuation of him. I think Dino De Laurentiis, the Napoli president, was, and this was in 2019, he was probably quoting in excess of 100 million euros for him. And in the end, they've sold him to Chelsea for about 33 million pounds, I think it was. And watching him this season, I think he went down with cramp in the first game and every time the ball goes into touch, it looks like he needs a breather because he's played at such a sedate pace for most of his career or certainly in, in recent years in, in Italy. And I think Chelsea have signed him at the wrong time and that that's what made England's win against Senegal after the first, if he, 30-odd minutes quite straightforward because players of, of Koulibaly's calibre aren't where they were as they were at the last World Cup. So, Osman ticks pretty much every box. He's also played in, in, in Ligue 1 as well, which is, that, that means he's played in two of the major leagues. But it is really, really difficult to identify one. I think Ten Hag would like someone who is more of a centre-forward rather than just a forward. This is, I mean, in terms of a mid-season move, there is there would actually, there would have actually been some logic in just looking at him but obviously United when United did look at him they did it at exactly the wrong time and just from the principal grounds as well uh, it, it caused an absolute outcry among supporters uh, but 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 Ten Hag I think he, he would like a more of a centre forward than just a winger I don't think when they do come signing forward I don't think it will be someone who is just a winger if it is a winger or someone who's predominantly play, played <coughs> excuse me, played off off the left or the right, it will be someone who has the potential to play through the middle, uh, as is the case with Gakpo, and that he that's that's the role he occupies with, with the Netherlands. Yeah, I, I guess maybe from my own point of view, it's whoever Ten Hag wants is probably justified because his transfer track record's so good anyway at United that if the manager wants him, that almost probably is good enough for, for the majority of, of fans anyway. A, a, a big task now for Ten Hag will be to lift the spirits of those coming back from the World Cup a bit despondent. You know, seven players exited at the quarterfinal stage and the majority of them, everyone but Malassia really did play a, quite a prominent role at the World Cup. You think even Fred and Anthony did feature quite often from the bench for Brazil. How difficult will it be for United to, to get the spirits back up and get players focused on, on the club season again? Because it does almost feel for some of them like... Oh, a real blow after what's been an encouraging start to the season. And now it's just a case of how do you get the momentum going again? And how do you get these players motivated to play in what is quite an unglamorous run of fixtures coming up? Yeah, I mean, it is a significant challenge. It's one United were aware they, they would be facing before the tournament started, that as well as the, the fitness issues and the, the issues around that, players who do play, players who, who go and don't play like Malassia, there was also going to be issues around players who come back disappointed with how their tournament has gone, either individually or or collectively, and and that's happening quite a lot, really. With with a lot of those, you know, a lot of those players returning now are going to be returning with with a bit of disappointment at how it's gone for them. You think of the England players; they're they're going to be, you know, very dejected at how it's panned out for them. There's there's going to be a lot of disappointment or a sense of missed opportunity for them, and it, it is something you're going to have to manage and. Normally, it's, it's, it's less of an issue, but you still sometimes see it in the summer where if a World Cup ends badly, you have 
you, know, you can have two, three weeks, maybe three weeks on holiday and come back. And even at the start of the season, you you ease yourself back into it, really. You might not be firing on all cylinders by until October, November. As reality is, these players have got a Premier League game next next week, basically, or the week after. So there is very, very little turnaround. And it is it is a major challenge. I think it's an even bigger challenge. I did a piece this morning for, for City. I mean, City sent 16 players to the World Cup and have got one in the final week, which is good in a way that they're getting them back. But almost all of those are going to be disappointed at, at the way things have gone. You think of their Spain players, their Germany players, De Bruyne, the way things have gone, the way he kind of influenced things that went wrong, the England players. Um, you know, there's there's a lot there and a few at United who, who will be immensely disappointed this week at how it's panned out for them. And I think that that is a challenge going back to, to the J job and you're losing a World Cup and, you know, I, I watching England on Saturday night, it was disappointing and you felt it for a couple of days, that, that thought of what if, what if we were playing Morocco, we deserve to win that game. We kind of move on, we, we weren't playing. For those players, it's, you know, they, they've got that, they were involved in it. And then it's four years to the next World Cup or three and a half years this time around. You know, it's a, it's an awful long time to be looking ahead and thinking I've got to wait that long to to have another go. So you can understand why it kind of lingers in the system for two, three weeks, maybe longer. So it is it is definitely going to be a challenge, I think, for for not just United but for a lot of but a lot of clubs, especially but especially the big ones who who sent a lot of players to the tournament, like United and and even more so City, I think. Yeah, it almost brings us full circle in that we mentioned Maguire at the start of the podcast. I mean, from his own point of view, that might be the the last. You know, World Cup he plays in very realistically it could be one of his last major tournaments given his age and the cycle that needs to now, you know, sort of take shape with the, the younger players coming through. And Samuel, one of the, the the few talking points on that Betis friendly at the weekend was that Ted and Mengi suffered another unfortunate injury. He was in tears as he was stretched off in that match. And that's left United with a bit of a defensive dilemma heading into next week against Burnley because regardless of what happens in the World Cup semi-finals this weekend uh, this week sorry Varane and Martinez will be away till the weekend because they'll at the very least be in the third place playoff or possibly even the final so United head into next week against Burnley with Lindelof and Maguire and that's it really in terms of centre-backs as we said Reese Bennett came on against Betis Dijon Bernard was an unused sub but I mean, heading into that Burnley game, which we'll preview properly before it, it does feel like there's going to be a bit of a rush back in terms of some of the players have to play. Yeah, they, they've, they'll they have this week off and then, <clears throat> excuse me, it will be a case of report on Monday. And provisionally, United saw that as those players who come back, maybe they could be in contention to be on the bench for the Burnley game. I mean, Christian Eriksen should be starting, no problem, provided he's, he's he's not injured because Denmark went out of the group stage. That was nearly two weeks ago now. But Maguire, it's it's really in his interest to, to start that game. I, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be starting that game. He'll have played a game, what, 11 days before it would have been England's defeat to France. Uh you know the, the challenges are more mental than physical with the timing of this World Cup and people at United they they told us that they did encounter issues in particular with the English players after the Euros final last year because they were what a couple of kicks away from becoming the first England team to win a major trophy uh, sorry to win a trophy since the the great team that won Le Tournoi in, in 1997 of course uh, but you know the, the I've said this before, and I remember writing it during the Euros with with Maguire and Shaw in particular. You you 
get the sense that they they just prefer playing for England anyway, that they're more invested in it. But you see that with lots of players at this World Cup. Hakim Ziyech's been brilliant for Morocco. He looks like he'd, he could run through brick walls uh, to, to get that team to where it needs to be. He's had a terrific tournament. Look at his situation at Chelsea. Uh, you, you hear the feedback on him as well. It's very uh, that people are talking about his uh, how, how he's getting on at Chelsea. It's very unflattering. And he's a great example of you put a player who's not really having a good time at club level in an international tournament, uh, playing for their country, and they, they're at their absolute optimum and they are reaching heights they will probably never, ever reach again. And unfortunately for Maguire, that has been his problem as well. And I think a lot of United fans, have, they're aware of that, they see that, and his card is marked. Whereas with other players... I mean, you look at the way <clears throat> Casemiro dealt with um, dealt with Brazil's elimination by by Croatia. He scores a penalty. He hands the ball to Modric. He's smiling at him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Very sporting. They Brazil lose the shootout. Most of the players are crying uh, prone in the centre circle. Casemiro is is congratulating Modric. He's a thirty year old. He's seen it all. He's he's, he's done it all and. He he can deal with that. I don't think anybody's got any any issues with Casemiro coming back from Brazil's disappointment at the World Cup. And look, it, for, for Brazil, they've not won the World Cup in twenty years. And I think since they did win it in um, <clears throat> in Japan, they've finished in the quarterfinals. I think four times, and obviously the semi final was one of the most extraordinary results in in World Cup history when when Germany pulverized them seven one. So. You can't underestimate how badly it's gone down in Brazil, but Casemiro's a grown-up. There are other players there who don't have the experience he has, and, and Maguire is one of them, even though the age difference between them isn't that great. Uh, Maguire's 29, he's turning 30 in a few months. It, it, it's that inconsistency he's shown throughout his career and that he'll play brilliantly for England, but then he won't necessarily play brilliantly for his club. And that's... you know that United have to play him, and he has to make himself available. If for whatever reason he doesn't start against Burnley, I mean, you're inclined to say to Martinez or Varane after one training session on Boxing Day or something like that, right, one of you two are playing ahead of him. I don't think Maguire will do that. I'm, I'm sure that he will make himself available for that game next week. And United have the capacity to field an extremely strong side. I, I suspect it won't be at its optimum, but given that Burnley are having a, a very good season, they're top of the championship. They've only lost, I think, two out of 24 games overall under company. Um, United are going to stray close to six years without a trophy. The League Cup is the earliest uh, competition where they can end that drought. Arsenal are out, Tottenham are out, Chelsea are out. One of City and Liverpool are guaranteed to go out in the fourth round as well. There are incentives aplenty to ensure that you don't get complacent. So it, it it's got the it's, they have the potential to name a very strong team next week. But I'm certainly not expecting it to be laden with um the, the I think it was overall nine players who went out from United in the in the quarterfinals. Ty, I guess going forward, then what would you how would you look at the sort of World Cup break then for United so far? Because obviously. At the time of recording, Martinez or Varane could still lift the trophy this weekend. Obviously, Varane's already done it four years ago. But in terms of 
how United players fared and how they're coming back to the club as well. Obviously, there's disappointment of the circumstance that many of them went out, but lots of them did get quite far into the competition. Lots of players still got a break. How have you sort of reflected on, on this this period of our club football for United? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the players who, who went did very well. You look at Fernandez um, and Rashford as the prime examples. Maguire did well for England. Shaw was pretty solid. Dallow forced his way into the Portugal team. So a lot, a lot of the players who went did did well. It, it doesn't stop there being a sort of a collective disappointment at, at what's happened. That it's over. In a way, it makes it worse that you've played so well and, and your World Cups ended. But yeah, you know, some, some key players have had a break. They've had a decent training camp. Like someone says, the results in in Spain were basically irrelevant. But I, I do think it's it's very hard to judge how it's gone. I don't think we're really going to know until the season starts again and we're maybe two, three, four weeks in, into the season. It's it's difficult to say. It's so unprecedented what's happened over the last month now since since the last plays that it's it's impossible to judge because we just we don't really know what we're judging it on. Is it is it good for Martinez and Varane that they've got this far? Although at least one of them is going to be very disappointed by the weekend. Is it good? Most players have gone out early. Hard to say. Are the players who didn't go going to be hitting top gear next week, or will they? You know, are they almost back to August levels where they've lost a bit of momentum? It's it's just so hard to say. I think there's so many unknowns around this break that it it's just so hard to call who will have benefited and who who won't have done and and how it's worked out. And teams to to a certain degree, teams and clubs have been have been guessing on on how to run it. I mean, United went away for a week. Others have gone away for, for a lot longer. I think Liverpool have gone away for two and a half weeks or, or something like that. And I think there's a few others that have gone away for quite a long time to to play mini tournaments and stuff like that. So everyone had different approaches to it, different views on it. And like we say, it was completely unprecedented. So I think we're probably only really going to find out how it's gone for, for each individual club when we sort of hit maybe mid, mid-January, end of January. Yeah, exactly. And we will we shall see in the weeks ahead how United do recover from this World Cup break. Um, Samuel, Ty, thank you very much. Samuel, when can we expect to see the next instalment of this Ten Hag interview then? Uh, that's at the uh, the news night time of, of 10.30 this evening. Uh, we're speaking on Wednesday. There'll be another one at 10.30 on Thursday night as well, I believe. So I, I'm not, there might be some more to come after that, but that's... That's about it. There'll, there'll be a couple of features about. I mean, I've, I've seen. You know, we, we we've we're all, we're all aware of a, a certain website and the wackiness of some of their features. And I, I might I might go along in, in that direction with what what it's like. Thank you very much, uh, Samuel Ty. Again, thank you for joining us today on the Manchester Red Podcast. Like I said, we will. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, and like I said, we will be back uh, either later in the week or early next week to look ahead to United's return to action when they do face Burnley in the Carabao Cup next Wednesday. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us today on Manchester Red Podcast. As we said at the start, we will be coming to YouTube soon, so keep your eyes peeled for Man United MEN on YouTube. And in the weeks ahead, just search Manchester as Red Podcast and you should be able to see the video versions of them there as well. But for now, all we have to say is thank you very much for listening today. Please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Take care and we'll see you again next time.